Someone has said if you got arrested by the law for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence that could be presented in a court of law to prove that you are? Is there evidence in your life that leaves no doubt that one day I left darkness and I came to light? One day I stopped rebelling against God and started serving God with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit. What's the evidence? Those that live today that claim to be Christians have put a doubt on the minds of many who claim not to be Christians. They have looked closely at those that say, I'm a Christian, and they shake their head and say, really? Really? What's the evidence? Why do you say that? Well, I believe in God. God said, I've made myself so evident in creation that all people are without an excuse. Are you or are you not a Christian? In my years on earth, I have seen pastors leave the pulpit and confess before the congregation, I've never been born again and follow the Lord in believer's baptism. I've seen ministers of music, staff members, deacons, literally by the dozens. Faithful attenders, tithing on the gross, and on and on. That one day, they realized, you must be born again. One day, there was a change. When you didn't come to church just because you had signed up to be a church member or signed up to be a Christian, and certainly you're going to come on Easter. Goodness gracious. Who would ever meet Easter and be a Christian? And so the Easter bunnies hop in on Sunday and hop out the next Sunday. But the question this morning is, are you a Christian? If you have the red letter edition of the scripture, you'll see that this is right in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching this sermon. It's worth your reading, even if you've read it a thousand times. I read it often. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus preach? What did Jesus believe? He said, for if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same. He had just given some thoughts that I'm going to share with you in a moment. But, but he asked this question very clearly. What do you more than those that do not believe or say they are Christians? Do you feed more poor people than they do? Do you show yourself being more merciful than them? I mean, what, how, do you, how are you going to decide I am a child of God or I'm not a child of God. I'm a Christian or I'm not a Christian. Is it because that you try to live a good life and stay out of other people's business and be a good neighbor and mow their yard while they're on vacation and carry a meal over when they get sick? Is that what makes you a Christian and you believe I'm a Christian because I do those things? The scripture says, well, what do you more than these? Because all of those things I can show you literally thousands of people do the same thing but they are not Christians and they don't claim to be. 
Most people, I'm sad to say, and it's a shadow, I think, on me personally and the church. Most people never clearly understand what it means to be a Christian. They just don't understand it. They, they, they believe that if they get in the right organization at the right place at the right time and do the right things and live what they believe to be better than most people, that that makes them a Christian. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said that Christians are essentially a unique and special kind of person. There are things about them that are different from any other non-believer in the world. There's something different. And that's what the Bible teaches. There is something unexplainable about being a Christian. There's something unexplainable. You see... All were givers in the, in the early days and not takers. They were all givers. People in the early church forgave each other. They did not have ought against each other. If they came against each other, they confessed it, they asked forgiveness of each other, and they asked forgiveness of God. And they got back in the fellowship of the church. In the early church, husbands loved their wives and wives loved their husbands. And children, watch out, obeyed their parents. Not most of them, not some of them, all of them. God made that extremely clear. The children are to be led by their parents. And those parents have a responsibility to train up a child in the way it should go so that when it's old, it'll not depart from it. Let me ask you something. Of the kids that are from the families that are Christian, are they really in submission to God? and in submission to authority, including their parents. How are we doing on that? Widows were cared for in the early church. People are shocked by how Sagemont takes care of its widows. And every widow in this church will go like this and say, they are well taken care of by the staff and the deacons and every member of this church. If one has a need, helping hands and everything this church has is at their resources. That's the way the early church was, folks. Orphans were cared for. Children were loved unconditionally. There wasn't murder and drugs and stealing among church members and kids of church members. And you know what? Most of the government leaders followed God. <laughs> Whoa, watch out. They would never debate in God we trust should it come off of our money. They'd want to put it on there on both sides and in the envelope that the bank gave it to you on. Listen to Deuteronomy 14 and 2. Go back to the Old Testament. The Lord has chosen you to be a peculiar people. That's all the way back to the second book in the Bible. God has chosen Christians to be followers of Jesus to be peculiar people. And you don't want to be peculiar. You want to be like everybody else if you're a church member that does not know Jesus. You want to fit in with the culture, fit in with society, make sure you don't miss a party, 
because you might lose business. That didn't happen back in the early days. No, they went to the cross themselves. They were executed before they'd do that. But today, we're compromising, mediocre, mealy-mouthed bunch of people. And I'm not fussing at anybody. I'm just telling the truth. We all need to be more like Jesus. First Peter 2.9 says, now this is in the New Testament for those of you that are new believers. This is written hundreds of years later. Here's what Peter said. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Here he says it too. A peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When a lost, wayward, rebellious churchgoer gets born again, people around them are attracted to the God that changed them. And they want to know more. What happened to you? My, you've changed. I know you've been a church member for years, but you've changed. You don't talk like you used to talk. You love differently than you used to love. You forgive now when you used to couldn't forgive. You just fought it out because there was so much pride and so much arrogance. You know how you can tell a Christian? Christians do what others do, but they do more than what others do. Christians live in this world. But in this world of darkness... The Jesus that's the light of the world begins to live through their life. And then they begin to have an impact upon the world in which they live. What we do is we go about day by day saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? In Matthew 5, 41, it says, whosoever shall compel you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Those that are really born again Christians do more than what's expected of you. You don't want to do your part? Well, I just want to do my part around the church. I mean, you know, I go there and they're good and they teach my kids this and they do that and so forth and so on. So I want to do my part. No, you want to do God's will. Not your part. It's not divided among, take the numbers, divide it into the project and that's your responsibility. No, you're to do what God wants you to do. And you're not going to be satisfied for you do. You're not going to pray on a certain day. You're going to pray every day. You're not going to wait till you come up on the calendar and you signed up from 4 to 4.30 in the morning. You're going to pray every day because God changed your life. But I tell you, not only do the Christians do more than what unchristians do, we do what they cannot do. We do what they cannot do. An unsaved person cannot tell a, a, a lost person how to be saved. They don't even know. But we can go farther, much farther. We're able to take those around us and show them that a Christian marriage is different from a non-Christian marriage. Parenting children the way that God wants them to go is different. That creates a different home environment. They work different at the job. They're not doing as little as they can, but everybody knows them because they do more than they are paid to do. And they might stay five minutes later than the 4.30 whistle. 
I saw that as a teenager working on the Houston Ship Channel. Every single day I was on, on vacation relief and there were some guys that would come in 10 minutes before they had to and the others came in 10 minutes after they were supposed to. Why? I want to draw my paycheck and give as little for it as I possibly can. But a born-again believer, wherever you work, you want to make that company more successful because you work there. Big difference, folks. Big difference. Big difference. We're taught to love our enemies. Non-believers can't do that. Just in our nature. I'm not going to forgive you. If you think I'm going to tell you I was wrong and made a mistake, I'm just going to give you a piece of my mind. <laughs> Keep all the pieces you have. None of us need to give any pieces of our mind away. We struggle with the whole, whole deal, you know. But Christians love those that don't treat them right. Christians love their enemies, even. When's the last time you prayed for North Korea, president, to be saved? Well, that can't happen. Oh, yeah, the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. What would happen if every world leader would get saved today? What would happen if all the churches would pray for world leaders that hate God and don't even believe there is a God? What would happen in this world? Amen. Revival. Revival. And maybe the coming of the Lord. Yes. We can forgive. The world can't forgive. We can turn the other cheek. The world can't turn the other cheek. And we can enjoy giving more than we enjoy getting. Can you imagine such a thing? That it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And most people say, I'll just stop with the receiving. Just bring it on to me so I can buy more lottery tickets and go to Las Vegas more often and buy more whiskey and go and participate in the violent things of this world, the vice things of this world. Are you a Christian? Let me give you something else. A real Christian is meant, is meant to be positively like God and like Jesus. I hope you came out of home where people could say to you, uh, you, rem you remind me of your father or you remind me of your mother. And it was a compliment, okay? It wasn't when they were getting on you for doing bad. It was when they said something. I knew your father. I knew your mother and I can see them in you. Now, if you came out of a good home, you feel good about that. But when you're born again and you're in the father's family, isn't it good when people look at you and say, you remind me of your father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. That's what we're born again to be. We leave the world of flesh and we are born again into a new world and we are adopted into the family of God. And when you're adopted into the family of God, you cannot be disowned. You are bought with a price. And God, through the Holy Spirit, lives in us. Now here's the question. Is there something in our life that is not found in the life of non-Christians? And that's what sets us apart. 
and makes a difference. Is there something in our life that is not found in the lives of non-Christians? And that's the difference. That's the question. To give you some suggestions, and this message could go on for a long time, but I will stay within my time. Number one, Christians think differently. You understand what I'm saying? They think differently. They do not think, what's in this for me? They think about, what does this mean to God? We don't think like the others. We do not think that success in this life is going to bring joy and peace and unity and understanding and love and on and on and on. We believe that Christ in us is a hope of glory. And the only love that I can have for the unlovable is the love of God. Because my carnal nature is still there, dormant. But when he that is in me is greater than he that's in the world, then good things begin to happen. And so we think differently. Listen to me, church members. The world, this world, is not all there is. Are you living like it is? I'm going to go around only once in life, so I'm going to get all the gusto I can. Remember that little saying of years gone by? Well, the gusto is about to kill you. And you need to be still and know that he is God. You need to quit chasing everything and start following Jesus. Because he's the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the one, if he leads you, he promises to go with you. A lot of people won't tell you what to do, right? I hope you don't think I'm telling you what to do. I'm just wanting to say, who'll come go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. Not by works of righteousness, which I've done, but by his stripes, I was healed. One day God came into my life and changed my life. And now he that's in me is greater than he that's in the world. And no weapon that's formed against me will prosper because this is the inheritance of the children of God. And we don't have to join up with them. If they're walking away from God, try to get them to turn around. It's called a new birth. And God can save the biggest sinner. He turned to that thief who simply said in his dying moment, Lord, remember me. And the grace of God flowing through his son Jesus Christ said to that thief, on that execution day, today you will be with me in paradise. That's God's grace. That's what God wants to do with every single one of us. He wants us to come into his kingdom. But we have to think differently. Let me give you the scripture. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Real simple. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. End of your instructions. Have the heart of God. Have the mind of Jesus. Think like he thinks. When Jesus came and the woman was brought to him in adultery, he didn't condemn her. He didn't put it on Facebook. He simply said, I'm not going to condemn you. You go and sin no more. That's Jesus. 
Are all church members like that? Let me give you something else. Christians are more concerned with the spirit of the law than the letter of the law. Real Christians are more concerned with the spirit of the law. To be like Jesus, that's all I ask, is to be like him. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any of them. That's a testimony of a believer. And we want to know how much of the law can I break? How much is too much? How many times, if I just cut down on my profanity and cut down on my alcohol and cut down on my adultery and cut down on all that, I'm going to be fine. That's not what the scripture says. The Bible says we're never content. Never, never, never. Because the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. And when the blood covers the sin, you are forgiven. You cannot blame it on your sinful nature. Let me give you a third thing. Christians, not some of them, all of them, have a positive attitude about morals and absolutes. Every believer that's ever read the Bible knows there's a lot of thou shalt nots. There's not just 10 of them. There's a bunch of them. Bunch of them. And yet we have people today and we think God's grading on the curve. I remember when that came into public schools. The curve? What in the world is the curve? Well, we got the smartest one and the dumbest one in this class. And if you happen to get in the right class, you're going to do better. But you know what? The Lord says it's yes and no. You're either in or you're out. You're either going up or you're going down. He's absolute. When he spoke, the world came into existence. When the Father speaks to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus, go back and get my church. They're coming out of heaven. The trumpet's going to blow. The dead in Christ. The dead in Christ. The believers. The born again are going to rise first. And then those that are behind remain, but we will remeet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. Listen to Philippians 4.8. Boy, I love this scripture. This is one of my dad's favorite scriptures. Finally, brethren. Sounds like somebody come and talk to him and was arguing with Paul when he wrote this, but he said, finally, let me just cut through the chafe. Here's what he said. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Write them in your Bible. Start thinking about it. You say, I think about those every day. Wonderful, wonderful. If you do, you're enjoying this sermon. If you don't believe all that, I'll probably get an email from you, all right? But aren't you glad that God loves sinners? <laughs> aren't you glad that he'll forgive for every sin? There's only one sin in the Bible, and that's the sin of not believing what I'm preaching right now. That's the only unforgivable sin in the Bible. 
You cannot reject Jesus and go to heaven. I don't care whether you're mother this or mother that. If Mother Teresa's in heaven, it's not because she did wonderful works, which she did. But except a man be born again, he will not inherit the kingdom of God, is the scripture. Christians know that they are wrong. Non-believers don't know where they are or not. And one of the things that confuses them in, the people that say they are do the same thing I do, so I guess I'm okay. But those that are believers, when we disobey, and we all do, there's something that comes, and we call it conviction. Let me tell you something, friend. Don't you ever become a Christian. Don't you ever become a Christian if you think that you'll never have a problem again. Don't, don't ever think, if you become a Christian, that you'll never be tempted and that you'll never sin. But what will happen when you do sin, you have enjoyed your last sin when you're born again. And when you are born again and you sin and you know it and you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But your joy is to know him and not to be caught up in the things of this world. So Christians know that they're wrong. And the non-Christian, are you ready? They believe that they're as good, if not better, than everybody else. And you are. And you're just as bad as everybody else. That's not the criteria, folks. The criteria is the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And we have to depend on that. But when Jesus comes into your life, your life changes. It changes forever and forever and forever. And you have enjoyed your last sin, as I said a moment ago. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the saved person's sin is forgiven. And conviction leads that one that committed that sin away from it to sin no more. Number five, non-Christians see God as one is to be obeyed. The Christian sees God as a perfect father deserving to be loved. I don't, I don't want us to serve God because we have to or we got to obey him or he'll spank us. I want us to serve God because we love him. Don't you want your kids to love you the same way? Don't you want them to obey you because they love you, not because you can spank them if they don't? You're wanting to build a relationship. And that's what this is all about. Number six, non-Christians love to seek recognition for their good works. The Christian does good as a way of life. If you're trying to win the, the trophy from the do good organization, you're probably gonna be disappointed. But if you do good, because as he is, that's who you are in this life, you're gonna be blessed. 
When you, when you go to bed at night and you know as much as in me today, I did what God wanted me to do. And to God be the glory. And we don't want people to follow us. We want them to follow God. We don't want to have church services that people come because they like this, that, or the other. We want people to come to church because they're seeking God. And when they go out of here, they found God. And their life is never the same again. It's not about entertainment. It's not about talk. It's about the walk. But God wants to make a change in your life. He wants you to have one good night's sleep that you haven't had maybe for years. And you can put your head on the pillow and say, if I die before I wake, I know that my soul, the Lord will take to be with him forever and forever and forever. We don't need to seek recognition for our good deeds. It's just a way of life. 1 John 4, 17. As he is, so are we in this world. That's a Christian. As he is, so are we. Whatever he would do, that's what we will do. Number seven. Non-Christians will face death, oftentimes, with dignity. While Christians face death with anticipation. Absent from the body and present with the Lord. We don't want the big banner across the freeway. We want the open arms of Jesus and says, welcome home. My good and my faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things and I'm going to make you rule over many things. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. And you don't have to run for office after you get there. We will not divide up and say, okay, all of believe this way. Get over here and all those over here. You get your candidate. We'll get ours. We'll see you. No, 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 no. The blood, the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. What a joy it's going to be when we hear the well done. Oh, when Paul wrote young Timothy, in the second letter he wrote to Timothy, fourth chapter, verse 6, and then I'm going to skip over to verse 8. Here's what he said. This is Paul in jail, fixing to die. This is Paul who wrote much of the New Testament through the leadership of God. This is Paul who was a murderer of Christians. He spent his early life murdering Christians. But one day he got born again. Here's what he wrote. For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. Henceforth there's a crown of righteousness is laid up for me which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to all of those who love his appearing. Wow. Thank you, Paul. I don't think there's anybody here that's as bad as Paul before he got saved. And I don't think there's anybody here that was good as Paul after he got saved. God had inspired me to write even a paragraph for the next Bible. Of course, I don't believe there's going to be another one. But I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which we commit to him against that day. Non-Christians, they're always asking, why me? 
Why me? Why did I have cancer? Why did I have that death in my family? Why did I lose my job? Why did Harvey get me and not get my neighbor? Non-Christians do that. You know what Christians do? Why not me? Why not me? God can do anything to me he wants to do. He has a total right and privilege. I am bought with his blood. I would never question that. But don't you ever think that God's going to reward you because of your goodness. He's going to reward us because of his grace. And we're going to get the joy by doing good and becoming as he is in this world. The joy comes, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. The joy comes in knowing that God has entrusted to us something that everybody else needs to hear. I don't know about you, but I'm confessing my personality or sin or something here at the end. But anytime somebody tells me something good, I mean a good story, I can't wait to find somebody to tell it to. You know, if, if I didn't have anybody around me and just had two dogs, I'd try to, whichever one sits still, I'd want to tell them a story. <laughs> I just like to know something everybody else doesn't know. You know, first. I want to be the first to tell you that. Here we go. <laughs> no, that, that's not the way it's, it's supposed to be. Non-Christians... They read the Sermon on the Mount, and they say, what? What? I can't live like that. Christians read it, and it says, wow. God's, God must think I have a lot of potential. <laughs> God must see me different from all my friends. My report card shows I'm almost a failure, you know. I got a D plus. That was not the top of the class. But you read this and you say, God, I can do this. He says, the writer says, I can do all things through Christ, which does what? Strengthens me. Do you know him, folks? Is there something in you that has been passed on to you? There was a trait of the Father who is in heaven. If you came from a good home, it always means a lot when somebody says, I knew your father, I knew your mother. They were good people. And I see a lot of them in you. Now, if your parents weren't those kind of parents, this, this does not make sense to you. But let me assure you that when you hear that, it makes you very thankful for your parents. Very, very, very thankful. And you know what? I and you, if you're a believer, need to remind people of our Father. Don't you want people to say, you remind me of your heavenly Father. You remind me of God the Father. You live and, and move about like the father did. And when there was need, he sent his son. And when there was another need, the father and the son sent the Holy Spirit so that the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit were one. And that one is involved in your becoming a Christian. And so I'm going to ask you one more time, 
Are you a Christian? Or are you not? The dominant trait is L-O-V-E, love. Can you love your enemies? Can you love those that abuse you? Can you love those that embarrass you? Can you love those that are out to get you? Wow. Jesus did. And he said, John, you're supposed to be like that. As he is, so we're to be in this life. If we're believers. We'll save the rest for another day. Are you a Christian? Are you a born-again child of God? Is there enough evidence out there that with a jury of your peers, you would be exonerated and say you're not guilty of sin because the blood of Jesus has cleansed you. And Christ lives in you. And we've seen it over and over and over and over again. 